and welcome to episode three of the Rally for Results. I'm Claire Richards, your host. And as always, I'm here to bring brilliant people into the studio, the room, the Zoom call, whatever the case may be, to share with us the brilliant things they've done in their personal and professional lives that have led to success. Today, I'm so excited to bring in Jeff Gao. Jeff has been awarded so many accolades over his professional career. Um, he was awarded Most Admired CEO by the Minneapolis and St. Paul Business Journal. And I am very excited to welcome him so he can tell us what he has learned over the past couple months, everything from post-COVID to perhaps an impending recession. So welcome, Jeff. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Claire. I appreciate that. Good to be here today. So, well, I, um, I grew up slightly over 60 years ago in a small town called Little Falls, not far from here in St. Cloud. I was the oldest of four boys. And uh, after graduating from high school, I went off to the United States Air Force. And I went in the Air Force to pay for my education. And so I got more than I bargained for in a good way. And so I learned a lot about myself while I was there, in addition to earning my way toward, uh, toward uh, compensating for my education. Uh, after, after leaving the Air Force, I went to the University of North Dakota, and while at the University of North Dakota, I was on a fast track. I went through there in about three years, slightly less. And while I was there, an interesting thing happened. I met a gentleman by the name of Gary Marsden. And for those of you don't, that don't know, Gary, the MAR of Marco, is part of his name. Gary Marsden and Dave Marcourt are the MAR of Marco. So I, I met Gary there. He was auditing a class, a senior-level marketing class, with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Dennis Elbert. And he's been a connection for us to this day at the University of North Dakota, and that was uh, 36 years ago. So I met Gary there and um, we, we, we formed a connection. And I started at Marco in 1984 um, as a sales representative for office furniture. Hmm. What's important about that is when I got there in, in the early or the mid eighties, um, our economic engine was typewriters. We made our money selling typewriters and I sold office furniture. Today, there are no typewriters. And there is no office furniture at Marco, but I'm still here and the company's still here. So we, um, I think we demonstrates are pretty resilient. And so it's, it's um, an interesting journey from the typewriter to the cloud and a lot of stuff in between over the last 36 years. Well, and I imagine professionally a very interesting career path for you going from salesperson to CEO. What, what led to that path? Well, I think along the way, you know, is, as a, if you're, if you're, if you aspire to be into a leadership role or a management role or a supervisor role, we call them different things kind of at different phases of our life. But I, I, had a, I had an inkling that that was something I wanted to do. I, I liked the idea of um, leading people, um, execution of plan, strategizing, and I was a pretty good sales guy. So most of my, most of my development years were in sales leadership. And so I kind of learned the ropes of managing people and outcomes, keeping score um, through, through the sales process. And, you know, I kind of have a saying around Marco, until we sell something around here, not much else matters. But, you know, that's true <laughs> in so many places. And Absolutely. so having that sales attitude and an acumen towards sales, um, I, th I think that was helpful. And, um, and I did aspire at, at some point in time to maybe have my own business, but you know what? This this worked out really well. It was a way to kind of run my own operation together with the team, just like it would be, I suppose, if you owned your own. So it was, it was a, a good start, and it's been a good outcome. So you said something right there that I thought was really interesting. Keeping score. What does that mean? Okay. Well, there's best efforts, right? And and if you and that is a, 
You know, that's kind of like we're doing our best. But what does that mean? It might not be that good. So it might be very good too. But, you know, most professions, whether you're a, you're a bowler or a golfer or a professional of any kind, you know, they, they keep score. If they didn't, you know, it would be kind of, you know, best efforts. And so in business, it's the same way. Record keepers are record breakers. And the only way that you know that you're making progress is if you know your baselines. And so we, we keep score um, very significantly inside the organization. Call them metrics, call them benchmarks, you know, call it scorekeeping, but, um, but, but, but it's an important part of progress. And so you don't know if you're going forward unless you really know you know, what your, what your metrics look like. So we, metrics are a big part of our organization. Always have been. You just have to be able to measure things. So I'm curious, that sounds, it, it sounds like sports, right? Very competitive and of that nature. What are your feelings towards competitiveness, both when it can be very positive and maybe sometimes not as positive? Well, I think that the competitive nature of, of business kind of depends on the way that you go to market. You know, some people can have aggressive advertising campaigns and that can be, that can be assertive in the retail business. In our case, we're a direct sales organization. And so my job, our job, is to attract and keep good people in the organization. We've done a really, I think, a remarkable job of doing that over the years. And we've done that through building careers that have an upside attached to them. And so if you can see yourself when you look out the windshield in a positive way, long-term at our organization, then we've done our job. And so I think because in our DNA is, is that sales culture, I think that helps us be very, very competitive. We have about 200 and... 40 or 50 salespeople in our organization. And it's, it's um, as I said earlier, until we sell something around here, not much else matters. And so sales is such an important part. Revenue is such an important part of most organizations. And they're getting tested right now, quite frankly. And so it's, it, I feel like that's a competitive advantage of ours. I think our initial goal was to talk about some of the challenges businesses are facing and, and what insights you might have, whether it be post, uh, post-COVID or the impending recession, right? But I'm curious, I believe I read that you started at Marco in 84, right? Yes. Yep. So you've been there for a while and, you know, you haven't always had the influence that you have right now to set the, the culture and the tone organization wide. So I'm curious, were there moments in your early career where things happened where you're like, I don't know if this is a good fit. And why did you stick around through those things? Well, you know, people stay at organizations typically because they like the people they work with or they like their boss. And conversely, they leave organizations because they don't fit. Um, I always felt a fit there, probably because of my, my sales acumen that was kind of grounded in that mm-hmm. DNA of the company that, that Gary and David established. And, and through those years, um, I think we always had a, we always had a spirit of collaboration inside the organization. I know that's almost cliche, but it was true. You always seemed like you made a difference. And um, we had an opportunity at one point in time, we became an employee-owned company. And we had a very successful, I might, I might say, one of the most successful employee-owned companies in the country. And we had a strong run at that, a very strong run. And then we exited that in 2015. But it was, it's been really fun building that business. We took it from a, a small enterprise to a, you know, an organized, um, uh, well-managed organization, I think. And now today, it, you know, it, um, you know with, with, with our revenues north of 400 million and, and you know, 12 to 1,400 people, um, you know, it's, it's a bigger enterprise today. And so it's been really fun to build that. And we put it at the top of the industry. It took us 39 years to get our first 100 million in sales, mm-hmm. three years to get the next 100, and 18 months to get the next 100 million. So if wow. you're keeping score on the revenue side, you know, that we've been a growth company and we grow typically 
uh, compounded annually probably the last 10 years, 18%, you know, so pretty strong year over year growth through acquisition, through organic growth, through entering new markets, new products and services that we bring to market. So that's just been super fun. And when you, when you can look out the windshield and see opportunity, what was, what helped me on that is I had good mentors along the way. We try to do the same thing for the people that work there today so they can see a career path. They can see a career. That's so important. They have to be able to picture themselves as successful, right? In order to want that and strive for that. So, wow. When you talk about the growth path of Marco as an organization, that that's incredible. I think I was first aware of Marco maybe five years ago, right? Sounds about right. And even five years ago, it just seems like a, almost a completely different company. You've grown so much even just in the last five years. It's incredible. And we're probably twice the size we were five years ago. You know, so, wow. you know, so back to that growth strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's way more fun working at a growth company than a shrinking company. It just is. That attracts people by itself. That keeps that keeps the people energy, interested. right? Yeah, totally. It's so that's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's, it's hard work because there's a lot of execution that takes place. I mean, who doesn't want to say, well, I'd like to be in a growth company. I want to grow our business, but executing on it and doing it is, um, is, 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 it takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication and, and some bold moves along the way. And the right people, right? And the right people, always the right people for sure. So I'm assuming a lot of that's organic growth. Some of that's acquisition. When it comes to the acquisitions, how do you ensure that that energy is maintained, right? Because assuming that they were acquired for a reason, right? And maybe things weren't going as stellar as they could have been, whatever the case may be. How do you make sure that they are a good cultural fit for Marco? Well, it's interesting because every organization has a culture, whether it's a good one or not. Without exception, I think every company we've bought, and we bought about 46 of them now, mm-hmm. they're always going to say they have the best product, the best service, best yeah. employees, best culture. Nobody ever says, hey, we got a lousy culture and you know, our <laughs> service is bad. So you just assume that, that, that people, their intention is good. But when you, when, you, when you integrate them into an organization, I think that if we do our job right, then, then we welcome those people. Um, we, I think we do a pretty good job of recognizing that they had a culture too, and we don't want to break that if it was a good one. And so it's, it's a little slower paced, mm-hmm. um, bringing people in, but they need to fit the organization too, because they are coming into our organization. That's of one course. thing we got to learn, you know, and I, and we, every single acquisition that we've ever done, I personally go on site to that, that organization and welcome each employee there. And I also remind them, you know, there's two ways you can do this. You can be a, an active, uh, progressive, collaborative part of this, or you can be an anti-sponsor. And I can tell you which one works out better. You know, it always does. And so team fits a big deal. Yeah. And, and, and so acquisitions are, are a method for, for growth. Organic growth is, I suppose, a better way to do it because that means everybody's growing inside your market and inside your organization and opportunities. But acquisition is a quicker way to get there. So you have to do both. You have to buy and then you have to grow that market. And I think that's something that's been a core competency of ours over the last 15 years. Well, and to be able to give them the tools in order to grow, I think there's a level of organization and belief that has has to exist in order to do that. Absolutely. So in your time since 84, you've probably seen every facet of the company there is to see. And you've, you've I know you've mentioned that you've also seen Marco go through a lot of different challenges. Everybody keeps talking about this recession. Sure. You've seen the signs. You've been through recessions before at Marco. What are your thoughts? Well, we'll find out, won't we? Yeah. But, but in the meantime, I think as a 
as an organization, if you think about it as an individual in a household, what do they always tell you? You should keep, you know, six months of cash on hand. In other mm -hmm. words, be responsible in case something happens as an individual. If businesses are doing their job right, they're kind of doing the same thing. Whether that's six months or a year, whatever, whatever the, the, the whatever works best for an organization to be, you know, keep your debt in good shape. Mm -hmm. Keep your cash in good shape. Keep your receivables in good shape. Running your business well when there is no recession makes it way easier to run it and get through a recession. We've been through several different scenarios of that. Um, going back to, I remember in 91 was it was a tough year for us. We actually lost money that year. Um, we had the, you know, the Y2K situation that yeah. was kind of a bust, but nonetheless, there were, then the fallout <laughs> from that was the dot-com bust and we were in technology. Of course, the Great Recession that we had here a few years ago, and well, it's actually been longer than that now. But I, I, I just don't think the, the ingredients right now are there for an actual recession. And, and here's why I say that. Most of us started out with the best quarter we ever had. Many organizations, you ask them, how did January, February, and March look in... Um, in, in 2020. And they'll go, gosh, really good. One of our best ever. And I heard that often, mm -hmm. right? So that means people were performing pretty well. Organizations were performing pretty well. The stock market was performing pretty well. Now this pandemic hits, and I don't have to tell you all the changes that have taken place since then, <laughs> but if people were doing a good job going into it, odds are good. Um, and it, it seems to be pretty resilient as I look at the market right now. Some industries that what's different about this one it kind of had a, a reason that it started. It wasn't because we had a bunch of unemployment or we had, you know, you know we had issues related to, you know, banking like we did last time and, and loans that were getting called. This one was a little different. This one had, a, you could put a finger on what happened. Now, that being said, it was unusual. So the activities around it, though, are kind of the same. You have to make sure that your, your cost structure is aligned with your revenue. Meaning mm. if, you're, if you're not going to sell as much, you're not going to generate as much, clearly you can't have have that cost structure out of line either. So I think that, I think this time we, we, we know what kind of caused it. What we don't know is how it's going to play out afterward. And, and if it's going to cause a recession at this time, I'd like to think we're always prepared for an economic downturn. And mm -hmm. I, I believe that by the way we run our business and, um, and we're, it, this will be no different for us personally. You know, I would recommend the same thing to anybody that was listening today though, is you got to Got to be mindful of your business, just like you do your household. In the event something unlikely like this happens, you're prepared to prepared to adjust. And people yeah. sometimes like this one. What's different? A lot of individuals that I know, when I spoke to them, counterparts of mine, they go, "Well, we just can't wait till this is over. Get on the other side of it. We're hoping, you know, get through it quick." Hope. You know, <laughs> what's the other side? I, I know. <laughs> so, so, so it isn't very strategic to wait. You know, waiting is a, you know, it's a strategy, but it, I don't think it's a very good one. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be, I talked about execution earlier and execution, uh, decisiveness, um, making decisions and, and moving and, and moving forward with those. I, I, I just think are critical waiting around, kicking the can down the road. I don't think is a very good way to navigate these kind of situations. Yeah. So you, you had talked a little bit about making sure that you're addressing that gap in your revenue during times that are slower. What I've been reading about quite a bit is, you know, introducing products that maybe <clears throat> serve the same market, but in a way that matches their economic strain without damaging the reputation or assumptions about a current product line. So whether that's just a cheaper version of beer, right, that gets sunsetted after the recession, 
What are your thoughts on that? I mean, should companies be innovating, finding ways to package products smaller or in a, a way that is more affordable? Well, I think it's interesting as we watch the different industries and each industry seems to be impacted differently. You know, if we take something that we're all, um, well, had a chance to experience in some way or another is, is education, you know, doing that mm. remotely. Now it's yep. a different experience, but something tells me as a result of that, that will play into some element at the K through 12 level that it, that hadn't in the past. I mean, they're prepared to do that now. Restaurants, some of the people found themselves, and you know, and that's a tough industry during this situation, found themselves able to do some catering work or able to do some curbside pickup or maybe set up outside seating, but they've, they've adjusted. Now that doesn't get them back to where they were, but when things start to open up and we're seeing it now, some of those were good practices just to do them, right? As any, and, and, and businesses like ours, okay? So look at, look at office intensive workers. They've learned to kind of work from home. I would say an early on um, maneuver that many of us made and our, our customers made quite successfully was you're moving home on Monday, you know, and, and we took almost 1,400 people in 72 hours to a remote location, you know, to their to their home offices. Now, that all being said, oh, wow. and, well, and, and a lot of companies had to do that. And all, depending on your size and scale, they, but it was all relative to, to, to getting, pe keeping people at work. So now we, we, we work remotely. We use video. We use Zoom. We use we use WebEx. We use different varieties of of, of communicating now. I, I don't think that's going to go away. It's going to enhance probably our our office work that we do, um, but I think it's going to look different. And but all of us, whether it's Marco by providing work at home applications or restaurants with their catering or schools with the remote learning, we've each adapted in our respective industries that were good practices. It'll probably be really good when we get done with this, you know, and if there is a done with it, but as we move forward using the word new normal, it's so cliche. I don't even like using it, <laughs> but on, as we move through this, this time, um, some of those practices we had are going to remain good practices and we'll augment whatever growth we have coming back. Well, a new normal, I think is just, it, it's trying to affirm that it won't be the same, right? It is so cliche. It is cheesy, but it is an affirmation. Like what, what we're looking at is not going to be the same as Q1, right? It, it might not look the same. It for sure won't. And, and I think that you know, like our business, um, you know, we have copiers and printers. We have a, a technology services that are, you know, that video and security and all the, all the related um, uh, data center products and services. So, I mean, we got kind of a broad offering. Mm -hmm. Each of those inside our own company are going to get impacted a little different, Absolutely. you know? And so we have to prepare for that. And some of those will be in the expansion mode and some of those will be in managing, you know, maybe some um, resistance uh, or maybe downturn. And so I think most of our businesses will have some elements of pockets of opportunity and then we'll have some things that we can accelerate and some things we're going to have to manage on the downside. I mean, I just think that's that's how it's going to play out. And that, there's nothing profound about saying that other than, you know, saying it and actually doing something about it are two different things. It gets back to execution again. So I think that many people would put the pressure on, let's say, the financial reserve to solve the economy. And I think in reality, it comes down to the psyche of each individual business, right? What are people thinking? What are they feeling? And that tends to drive a recession. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it, it really comes down to whether or not we as people believe there's going to be a recession? Well, you know, beliefs and feelings are one thing. What actually happens, of course, plays out to be another. 
I, I do think we have a lot of control over our destiny as individual businesses. I think that um, some businesses have been greatly impacted and it's going to be very difficult in some of those industries to return to normal. For example, cruise lines, you know, when's the mm. next time you're going on a cruise? And that can be a little <laughs> tricky, right? You know? Yeah, of course. Um, we see our sporting events and I think people in a modified format will come back to those in concerts. Those are the obvious ones that we see, right? But then some of them, you know, you look at the pet food business. I got a friend that uh, owns a pet food company up in where my lake home is and you know, dogs are still eating. They're, people are getting dogs. They're getting pets. They're buying motorcycles. They're doing, you know, they're doing all these different home things that really didn't exist before quite to the level they do today. And and you look at um, gardening, for example. You mm-hmm. know, you go to, you know, there's a, there's kind of a, that might be something people keep doing. So I think that as businesses, right, we've each, we're each going to have opportunity areas that have been created through this. We're going to learn a whole lot from this about the resiliency of our business. Remember early on, I mentioned typewriters was our economic engine, but they don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. We were called the St. Cloud typewriter shop at one time, right? So (laughs) if we were still playing that out, it would have been a short-lived deal, right? Um, Office furniture was one of the biggest parts of our business. That business wasn't very resilient. The good part about that business that you you knew when a recession was coming because it was so evident. People don't, who's buying office furniture unless you're growing, Right. So as we, as we modified our business over the course of, of numerous um, recessions or financial impacts, um, and if you, you continue with those best practices rather than falling back into the way you always did it, you know, if you really actually change and you execute on change, you make good decisions to, to strategize on it, you will make your business stronger and more resilient. And I, so I think that those of us that have been through a number of recessions before, it, they're all a little different, but the, the dynamics are still kind of the same. And one of them is build a more resilient model. We added contracts and services to our company. Today, over half of our revenue is services. It used to be very product-centric, right? Mm. We, we learned that it's better to be in the service business and the product business in a recession. That's helpful. Some of the products and services that we were in before, like office furniture, um, was very impacted and not very resilient. So let's not do that. You know, some people can do that. We're just not going to do that. And so you get a chance here as your as your business is emerging and you're and you're learning from this experience. What can you continue to do to control um, through the next recession? Because there will be one through the next downturn. Because there will be one. I mean, hopefully not another pandemic. But we're going to have a. We're, it's going to be in the back of our mind. Who would have ever thought you'd go to zero revenue? Who would think that if you were running a, you know, a, a fitness center mm-hmm. or a, you know. Pick a restaurant, I guess, would be another one. Who'd ever put in your business plan, hey, we're going to be at zero next year, next month, next week? No one's going to say that because it doesn't even seem likely. But now that we know things are likely, we modify. It's in our DNA to to make adjustments, and good businesses will do that. The ones that are hoping to get through it probably won't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, It's just hope and, 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 and execution, strategy, decisiveness, those are all different things, and, and, and some of them are way better than others. It's not a good time to... It's not a good time to hope for a good outcome. Now is a good time to take action toward a good outcome. I read um, a really, really good Harvard Business Review article that had gathered research on, it was a couple hundred companies that have either failed or succeeded through recessions over the past 50 years. And they tried to drill down on some of the trends. What did the successful companies do? 
And of course, like many things, it was kind of that middle strategy. They were taking risks in some areas and being cautious in others. But one thing they highlighted was just the need to innovate during the recession, to be building the products that you're anticipating will be needed either in the moment or maybe after the moment of the recession. You have to be building those things through the recession. And so I think that can be such a challenging thing, right? If your company is already struggling, how can you possibly allocate resources for whether that be R&D or just um, dedicating people's time in thinking about those innovative strategies? What kind of experience have you had with Marco in leading teams to do that? Well, I think that I think that track records are important. If you're a well-run organization coming into a recession, that means you're doing a lot of practices correctly. You're executing, you're strategizing, you you you're able to attract and keep good people and 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 your products and services are 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 being sought after in the marketplace, right? If you go into it and, and it's kind of interesting on a national basis, we see some of these are kind of on a banana peel and you go, well, that doesn't really surprise me. They've been struggling for a while. Yeah. When you hear some of these companies that that are no longer going to be open. And that's true. That's never going to change. You know, it it that that does kind of vet that out, a recession does. Then you got some of them where they've they've um, you've had good strategies in place, and I'll use some examples in our own company. Remember, I, I mentioned earlier that we got out some of, got got out of some of those hunt to eat mentality, meaning you go find it, you you sell it, and then you go look for another one. You know that's not as resilient because as soon as you can't go find another one, you know, that's project based. Project based is okay. You know that's asphalt on roads. It's you know building houses, I suppose. It you know it, it it's got a cycle to it. And if that's all you do, you, you set yourself up for a little less resiliency. Now, if you can augment that, like for us, we augment our business with, with services that have contracts attached to them. Mm-hmm. It's a term I use, we use, it's called recurring revenue. It's not something yep. new, but this is a good time to be thinking about what are those recurring revenue streams that you can develop with your customer base that you can implement now and start to implement that might be very helpful next time or might be very helpful when you come out of this. And I think that, Last recession we were in, we were buying companies were in that recession because the, 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 mm-hmm. the price kind of, it was kind of a good value. You know, so there's these things that you can do if you've ran a good business going into it. You're really vulnerable, though, if, you're, if your industry has been in this particular case, and it is different, if it's been significantly impacted because mm-hmm. you can't open your doors, because people can't come into your business, that's a hard one to plan for, right? And even some of those, you know, our healthcare, I mean, our... Um, our uh, fitness centers, for example, you know, they had, they had um, memberships in place, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of us kept our memberships going because we wanted to be there when, when things come back. We want to be able to go back to our YMCA or our gym or wherever it is we go. And so, but that was a pretty good model, but who would ever thought, right? So I think sound business practices, executing on strategy, managing your cash, managing your debt, those are all fundamental. And they make for good businesses. If you mismanage those things, just like in your own household, it gets pretty slippery. If you're running on a, in a, you know, barely making it paycheck to paycheck, it's harder if something impacts your income stream. It's the same with a business. It's no different. So if you think about effectively running a business like you effectively run your own personal finances, um, it, it, it's pretty similar. I imagine even though Marco has been set up for success in those moments, you've probably still had to make pretty hard decisions and, and have struggled through different situations. Does anything come to mind? Sure. Early on, I talked about aligning 
cost structure with your revenue. So mm-hmm. your sales, if your sales go down, you got to keep, you got to keep your costs aligned. Sure. Just by nature, the fact you're going to sell less, you're probably buying less products, right? But there's another component of that. And that's the people part. And nobody likes to really talk about that piece, but the first and most to safe, uh, I think if you look back on good decisions we made, things that we did early on, good decisions that some of my counterparts have made when they said, what's the, what's the smartest thing you did is, well, I took action early. We took mm-hmm. action early. So we did have to furlough. We did have to lay off. We did some terminations. We, we, we had people impacts, right? But that keeps the company strong so people have a company to come back to. If you, if you don't do those things, you jeopardize the, the existence of the whole operation. So that's the part where people are going, well, let's just kind of see how it works out. As the weeks click by and cash flow gets dinged up, you know, we, we, we avoided that. And we did it because we were very decisive early on. And I think if you, if you ask people, almost never do they go, oh, I wish I would have dragged that out longer and, <laughs> and made it, made, made, not made those decisions. They almost always go, I'm glad we decided early on to align our cost structure with our revenue. And that's, that's the issue. Um, if you go to zero revenue and you have zero cost, you can still survive, right? But if you keep your cost structure too high, um, it, that, that's the Achilles heel. And, and people don't like doing that part of the job. Anybody can run a business or a sports team when things are going well, the whole tide's riding, mm-hmm. rising. That's not that hard to do. Leadership gets tested when things don't go as planned, when things, when things um, go south on you. How do you react? What, what is your decision-making ability? Mm-hmm. How good are you at getting comfortable, being uncomfortable? How good are you at execution? Those are all questions that good businesses already know the answer to. And so I, I, I think that um, a consistent hallmark of any company that comes through this was that they were very decisive early, Mm, they made the yes. corrections during. They worked on some of the things you mentioned about about building new products and services, or maybe ways they're going to package it on the other side, or getting more creative about how they delivered it. We talked about restaurants with outdoor seating and and and, and, and curbside pickup and things like that that will be resilient going forward. So, yeah, that 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 would be my thoughts on that: decisive and 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 execute. So. You talk about the people, and of course, I think that that has some sort of cultural impact, right? It's, sure. it's never fun to have to furlough employees or lay them off. And so I'm just curious, um, how do you maintain that energy you talked about? Sure. How do you keep people rolling and wanting to innovate and wanting to push through this to create a stronger company that people can come back to? Yeah, I think that employees are pretty smart, especially if you've done a good job attracting and keeping good people, right? They, they recognize that business is, 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 is off. It's soft. Use whatever term you want. It's not as good as it was, right? It's lower. Mm-hmm. So we know that, you know, you, you know, you can, you can just observe it in the activity and most people aren't going to raise their hand and say, just want to let you know I'm not busy right now. Um, maybe you <laughs> could furlough me or let me, that, that's not what happens. This is, this is paying attention to your metrics that you have. If you're mm-hmm. keeping score, remember we talked about keeping score. So if you're following your trends, if you're following an example would be service calls on copiers. If service calls on copiers are going down, then our, then our, then our, 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 the number of people we need to service those copiers go down. I mean, it just stands to reason. So there's, there's, you can't just broad brush everything and say, well, if we have 1,500 people, we're going to have 1,200 people. That'll solve the problem. Those aren't, that's not the right way to look at that. I think you have to look at each area of your business. We had some that were growing. We had some that had more calls than they'd ever had and more activity than they've ever had. Mm-hmm. We had some that had almost zero, right? So you got to navigate through it and knowing your business well 
Um, you have to address it by pocket of opportunity or where you need to re, re, you know, need to address a cost reduction where necessary. So I think that um, keeping the, keeping the um, attitude um, of the people that are working there and even keeping people hopeful that maybe had to get furloughed or laid off, I think the best way to do that is to keep your business strong. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, um, even though our, our revenues are getting challenged, we've been able to keep our profits very strong. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be around to, to have anybody come, come back to. You know, so if we do our job right, we'll, we'll, we'll build a resilient business that people can come back to and be back in their job and, and doing what they love to do. Well, and it goes beyond even just individuals, because if you think about the whole, which I know is maybe a more utilitarian viewpoint, but when you think about the whole, if a company like Marco were to go under for the sake of keeping people employed, it doesn't just affect the employees, it affects the communities that every single branch of Marco exists in. It, It just has this ripple effect that goes far beyond one or two individuals, right? Sure. Um. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, all I was going to say is, you know, as, at the size company we are, we didn't have an opportunity to, you know, get the paycheck, paycheck protection programs. But I think those ended up being pretty good programs to help people navigate this, you know. And so, you know, to, to your point before, I feel like there were some good decisions made to help companies keep people on the payroll and to keep them engaged. Now, now we're going to see what happens as we come out of this, you know, yeah. if we can sustain that without those resources or maybe who knows how that'll play out. But but I think that was put a kind of a stopgap on there and it got people a little bit more comfortable. I think it was, you know, interesting. They had the incentive for unemployment. They had an extra, you know, $600 a week or whatever it was. I think that that probably helped ease some of that too. So I think some of those programs were actually helpful. Mm-hmm. But now we have to navigate, um, you know, through all this um, naturally and they'll put our skills to the test, right? So we'll see how that plays out. So you talk a lot about having to create a strong foundation for a business in order for it to survive a crisis like COVID or a recession that follows. Do you have any advice or thoughts for those companies that are maybe on shakier ground for actions they need to be taking right now to hopefully make it through? Well, again, if 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 as a household, your in, income gets impacted, somebody loses their job, you have to reduce your cost base. I mean, you just have to do that. You have to give up some things, right? Businesses have to do the same thing to the degree they can. There is such thing as a floor, you know, so you can only get costs so low, but the quicker you can get your cost structure aligned with your revenue, um, the better off you're going to be. I also suggest, and it's probably, this horse might have ran already, but preserving cash and having cash on hand. This is where the term cash is king, really hits home. And it becomes emperor, king, whatever the, the most important piece is to have cash on hand. And we, see, we saw a lot of savvy companies shoring up their cash. We did the same thing, right? And so to make sure that you don't run out of cash. And you, you, can, have, you can have people busy doing activities, but if you're not getting paid, you know, if, if, if our customers don't pay us, even though they're using our services, that becomes a different problem, right? So we have to have the cash to get through that. Fortunately, by preparing for those kind of scenarios, we had a term inside our organization it was called draconian. What, what, what did the draconian view look like? You know, that's a new word for me. And that means like if things got really, really bad, what levers would you have to pull? Mm-hmm. What buttons would you have to push? And we looked at it from the absolute worst case scenario. And then we had a likely scenario. And then, of course, we had our original budget. The good news is we've kept that in pretty good shape. We didn't have to at this point 
go to that draconian view because our industry hasn't been impacted quite the same way that some of the others have. But by being prepared for the worst, um, then you can you can respond. But if again, if you if if you're even real time right now, if you're just hoping, gosh, I wish this would hurry up and get over with, I I, I think good advice right now is get those doggone costs in line, make those hard decisions, make sure you're showing up any resources of cash that you can so you can weather that storm. And it, it might be longer than you estimated. I think to some degree, people are already finding that. Yeah, it's something that we, I know we did at Leighton Interactive very early on as, as a leadership team, we sat down and, and mapped that out and said, what are the triggers that we're going to have to pull those levers so that we know and we can make a decision when that happens? Because otherwise, yeah, you're just waiting. And then everything just feels out of control and things spiral. I'm curious, you, I'm sure, have been exposed to many, many businesses, business owners. Do you see kind of a common theme amongst business leaders, a mistake that they often make in situations like these? I think I think the biggest mistake that gets made is delayed execution. I think if you ask somebody in a confessional, you know, should you have made this decision earlier? You know, almost, yes, I should have. And what the decision usually is, is the hard ones. That's yeah, the ones where you, ha- you have to lay people off. You have to maybe get deferrals on your rent. You have to do some bold things. And it's it, sometimes it's either embarrassing, it's uncomfortable, all those things, all those things in that bucket. But those are what differentiate companies that, that, that succeed better through these, times of, these, these, these kind of situations. And so I think delayed actions that you know you should do, you actually know you should do them, and, and, and then you kind of, you know, kick the proverbial can down the road a little bit. And, and he said, God dang it. And if that's the thing I always say. I wish I would have done that sooner. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have made that move sooner. That action. Yeah, it, it's about execution. It's about action. It's about decisiveness. That, that, that's what it is. Almost always. You know, nobody ever says, I wish I'd drag that out longer. <laughs> and they just don't say that, right? Because that's, that's not the case. So it's almost always the inability or the, the lack of, of, of decision making to execute sooner to align cost structure with revenue. That, that's the thing. I've got one more question and it's kind of a broad one, but do you have any predictions about what the world after looks like, whether that's in technology very specifically or just the the world in general? What are your predictions? What's going to happen? Well, you know, that's, that's a good question, of course. Um, and it's, it's just my feelings on it, but, but, and this might sound even kind of bad, I suppose, to some degree. So here's what's happened. The employees have gotten used to working remotely, right? And sometimes it's like, well, I, I, you know, I don't really want to come back. I like this remote thing. And some people are pretty good at working remote, and we have metrics that can support that. Many companies do. Other jobs, maybe it's a little trickier, and they do have to be a part of their, their workplace. And we have this conversation often with other business leaders. We talked about it today, as a matter of fact. The other thing that's happened, though, and why I, I, I think this will be important is we've also got used to people not being there. So when people aren't there, then what happens, some of those jobs get kind of absorbed by somebody else, or maybe we start to put technology and tools into place to maybe offset that. And so a couple of things are going on. You know, you've got remote workers that are kind of happy with that idea, and you've got companies that are going, hmm, do we need all those people to come back? And, and here's what I think. This is the part where I said it's not, it's not very nice, and it's prob- but it's probably pretty accurate. Not everybody's coming back. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just going to be the facts of the matter, I think. Again, my opinion is that you know, some of, the, some of the, 
ways that we did business before are going to dramatically change, whether it's a tool that's now doing it, whether it's somebody else that's augmenting their, their already existing position or job. So I think you're going to see more of that. On the good side, though, I think that the, there are going to be companies, and we'll be one of them, that will be more open to remote workers if they're good at it. And that's the part yeah. about self-awareness that we need to, you know, because some people just don't have the right work environment maybe, or there's distractions maybe. And some people, on the other hand, have performed very, very well during this. And it's been demonstrated. And, and as employers, most of us kind of know that, you know, who's working well and who's not, what's working well, what department works well remotely. So I think that's going to get vetted out. But some hybrid between mm -hmm. probably the full complement of, of workers in the office, they might job share or time share, meaning, meaning some might come in for part of the time and some might work home part of the time. But I think we're going to get okay with those things. I, I just think the other part of it is, is that we, we, we as organizations have learned to do some things a little different because we got used to not having the people there. So that's, so if somebody asks you to come back into work and you're going, well, gee, I, I feel pretty good about my current situation right now. Yeah. My advice is go back in, let's go do it. Let's go to, let's go to work. Let's not, um, you know, cause there's, they're doing that for a reason because they want you back in the workplace. So I, I think it'll be, I, I think that the, the workplace will return the workplace will look different. Home offices will be a theme. Um, some workers will be really good at it. Some not so good. There'll be a little debate there probably. Could create a little bit of a oh, yeah. potential conflict, <laughs> I suppose, because sure. who wants to say, yeah, and I'm really bad at it and I want to stay home. No one's going to say that. Right? So <laughs> um, given that, I, th I think it'll be, um, I th I, you know, and I think it'll be a nice adaption, for, especially for the, the, some of the newer workers, the, the millennials in that group that's always kind of like that concept, right? I think it yeah, plays well with a group like that. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So be good good that comes out of it but you know just keep um you know just keep your eyes open because if you get a chance to come back i think i think people should do that too so i love that what you just said let's get back to work i think you know all of everything that's going on whether it's covid or the the riots or this recession whatever the case may be i think it weighs on people and so a little bit of normalcy maybe will help <laughs> Bring people back to a, a better state. I think the longer we stay home, the longer we stay out of socializing, and this isn't very profound, but it's true, is some of my friends that have brought people back to work in other markets that we're in, like South Dakota and, and Iowa and some of those where they're, you know, in North Dakota where they're, they're pretty much open, right? Yeah. The, the biggest um, thing that they hadn't thought about was the workers um, were, were a little cautious coming back because they got used to their environment and now there's a group. And, and so, so the... The mental part of this plays in, to your point, right? And you, I went to a restaurant yesterday, and you come in, and you're going, hmm, it's not exactly like it was before, but I'm glad to be here. So I think the more that we start to re-socialize and, 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 and start to get back to work, get back to our events, get back to our ball games, and those kind of things, I, I think it'll all start to be better than we think it's going to end up. And I really believe that. Oh, I love that. That's a very positive outlook. I love it. Well, Jeff, thank you so, so much for joining us. Great insight. Take action, right? That yep. seems to be the, the done, core right? theme. Yep. Take yep. action. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Claire. My pleasure. And thank you guys for listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Don't forget to subscribe. YouTube, your favorite podcast app. We're out there. And I will see you next time.